Good morning and happy Friday, my friends. Welcome to your weekend. This is Sportsnet Today. My name is Matt Rose in for Ryan Pinder. Also going to be in for Ryan on Monday. And this program is brought to you by Wild Rose Brewery. Proudly brewing their beer right here in Calgary. Go ahead, visit the tap room or and or the restaurant in the Curry Barracks. Or find your favorite Wild Rose beer at bars or liquor stores all around Alberta. Coming up on the program today, all before 10 o'clock, that'll be the Merrick Show. Expecting Elliot Friedman, among other star-studded amount of guests, actually can tell you that Bruce Cassidy, the new head coach for the Vegas Golden Knights, is going to join Jeff at about 10.35 today. So if you want to get the latest on uh, the new bench boss for the Golden Knights, formerly with the Boston Bruins, you can hear his chat coming up a little bit later on, about an hour and a half away from that. And then Elliot will be the the prior segment. But in this hour, Ryan Pike of Flames Nation is going to join me. That's in about mm, 25-ish minutes. We'll discuss the upcoming draft and put a wrap on the Flames season and on the Stockton season as they were eliminated from the AHL playoffs earlier this week. We've got some Stampeders thoughts coming up for you in a short moment. Some audio for you ahead of Calgary's Week 2 matchup with Hamilton. We've received the depth charts, so we know exactly who is in and who is out for the Calgary Stampeders, and some injury notes as well. We'll get to all of that uh, ahead of our chat with Ryan Pike, but we're going to begin with the Speargrass Golf Show here on Sportsnet today. Speargrass is Calgary's most friendly and relaxed golf experience. You can visit them at speargrass.ca, and I will say, woke up today, Looked a little bit gloomy, but outside right now, the sun is shining. It looks like things are going to clear up if you want to jet away from work. Try and grab a time. Uh, I know Speargrass has a, a few times remaining for the course of the weekend. A hot ticket right now, but highly recommend you get out and check them out. Uh, Speargrass.ca is the course. Unfortunately, today we won't be joined by a guest. We had a late cancellation but instead, we'll bring you the latest from the U.S. Opens, just some notes on the local weekend here in Calgary as well. Because on the PGA Tour and really the European Tour, everybody's down at the Country Club in Massachusetts. It's the U.S. Open. It's one of four majors on the calendar year for the golf circuit, with this being the third of four on the calendar. And uh, it's interesting because for the majors, you know, they're not specifically PGA-sanctioned events. They're actually run by different organizations. So we do have live and PGA tour golfers mingling in the tournament, talking about Rory McIlroy and Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson and Justin Thomas, Kevin Na and Scotty Scheffler, Taylor Gooch and Cam Smith, Bryson DeChambeau and John Rahm. Some of the more relevant uh, individuals from PGA and also the live tour that are on, uh, on the course today as round two has gotten underway with it being a, an Eastern time tournament. But, uh, after the first round, Dustin Johnson was the highest ranked player from the Live Tour. He was one under par. Uh, it was Adam Hadwin, the Canadian, at four under par to pace the entire tournament after round one. Phil Mick- Mickelson, seven over in round one. Rory McElroy was fresh off his win at the Canadian Open, three under, just a stroke back of Hadwin in the lead after round one. And how about that Canadian content? Moose Jaw's own Adam Hadwin with your lead into the clubhouse. Bogeyed hole three, but then he put down five of six pars on the front nine. He held that through the back. It was a tight field going into round two. Uh, 25 golfers within three strokes, but Hadwin was the only Canadian at that point. And there are some rounds in the go. Uh, unfortunately, 
Hadwin got out to uh, a, a pretty rough start. Uh, he was two over through four holes. So at that point, it was uh, back to two under. He's now finished eight holes on his second round and is three over par today. That puts him back to one under. Leaves him in a tie for 12th, so he's still certainly within reach. But we've had a shuffle. MJ Defu, uh, the South African, through 13 holes is two under par, so he's jumped out to the lead at five under. We're still waiting for a handful of golfers to get on the course. Like Rory hasn't hit the uh, hit the tee box yet, and that'll be a big one to keep an eye on. He's expected to tee off at 11:25 Calgary time. And was three under par. So he's going to be one of the guys that uh, you certainly want to watch as we get through the Friday rounds here and into the weekend as well. Obviously, Saturday and and Sunday are going to be large, but um, there's still plenty of big name golfers in contention here. Like I mentioned, Hadwin, kind of the the Canadian that's hanging around right now. Mackenzie Hughes was two over after his first round. He's going to get going just after noon today. They're projecting the cut at plus two. So. If you're Mac Hughes, you really got to shoot low today to try and stick around for the weekend. Corey Connors, plus two today through 11 holes. That puts him at plus three. So he'll have to uh, clean up some things on the final seven here of his second round if he wants to go into uh, Saturday and Sunday's rounds as well. Uh, A little bit closer to home. Pretty great weather all weekend here in Calgary. Uh, Well, not great. I'm not going to go that far. But evening thunder showers tonight, so you might be able to sneak in, you know, two hours, two and a half, four and a half hours throughout the course of the day if you can sneak away from work or fit that into your schedule. Uh, Sunday actually looks beautiful, a little bit of Father's Day rounds, and I don't know about you, but for me, uh, one of the things that I've started to do lately as time has gone on, uh, especially when it comes to, you know, gift giving and that type of thing with my family, is I've pivoted to doing less for lack of a better word, material goods, and have started to do more experiences. Here's a round of golf. Here's a nice dinner out. Here's a, you know, escape room, whatever it may be, but just kind of given a cherishing memory as said gift instead. So for this Father's Day, why don't you do the same? Think about maybe taking Pops out for a round. And I will say, even if maybe you're a great golfer and Pops is one of those guys that does one or two rounds a year, something like that. Speargrass is a great course for that. Relaxed. It's got a great layout for any level of golfer. They've got like eight different tees that are all catered to your specific handicap or whatever it may be. And it's just a beautiful looking course. They got the tournament style. The final few just out over the river are just breathtaking. I love going out to Speargrass, especially with my family. Take my dad, take my mom, take my little brother out. Uh, We love it out there. So highly recommend that you get out and uh, check them. It's Calgary's most friendly and relaxed golf experience. Speargrass.ca is the website that you can hit up and uh, grab a couple times. Listen, like I said, they got a little bit of availability left this weekend. Not a ton because it's a good course and it's the weekend now. But, hey. And it's Father's Day weekend. Yeah, it's Father's Day too. So you can try for this weekend. You can try for the week. You can try for next weekend. Like you don't have to do Father's Day stuff on Father's Day, guys. Myth. Every every day should be Father's every, Day. Oh and wow. Day. Yeah. Right on. That's how I look at it at least. Good for don't you. Don't need Hallmark to tell me when. <laughs> <laughs> you big Valentine's Day guy too? Uh not lately. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. Dang. 
Oops. Oh, well, anyways, I uh, wanted to mention the Stampeders. Hey, uh, Pat, are you uh, going to watch this game tonight? Because it is CFL Week 2 underway. Yesterday, Montreal and Toronto played a game. A one-point win uh, for Toronto. They didn't cover the spread, which made me angry. <laughs> but they did get the victory. Uh, and then tonight, it's the rematch. Ottawa, Winnipeg, after a very tight game Week 1 between Winnipeg and Ottawa. And we'll get to the Stampeders in a moment. But before uh, we do that, just tonight's game, Patty. What did you make of the Blue Bombers in uh, kind of scraping out a win yeah. in Week 1 against Ottawa? Because I think that... To me, that seemed like a situation where this Ottawa team had a brutal 2021. Winnipeg's going back-to-back cups. They might have taken Ottawa a little bit for granted early on, but eventually kicked things into gear and looked more like the Winnipeg Blue Bombers that we're used to seeing. Yeah, they found a way there at the end uh, with uh, after Claros went down, Drew Brown engineered a pretty good game-winning drive. Yeah. Greg Ellingson came up big on a, on a catch there. But looking back, like this is the first that was the first game they played against Ottawa since 2019. They didn't play them last year mm. uh, because of the shortened schedule. So Paul Police coming back to Winnipeg, that was probably a, a big thing for him trying to get a win against his former mates, and uh, he'll have a chance tonight. That line keeps tumbling. Two weeks ago, I think uh, it was Ottawa was uh, an eleven point dog. It's now Winnipeg's just a one point favorite tonight. Um, but I've at, seen that as well, but I just oh. it, it's it's it was a it was a short training camp again for a lot of guys. You know, mm-hmm. they, yep. Caleros didn't do a lot in the preseason at all. Didn't get any really game action at all either. So, you know what? Ottawa's improved. They made the improvements in the offseason. Winnipeg, I well, y- you see Andrew Harris last night, and you're thinking, eh, you know, maybe, but because uh, the, the running game for Winnipeg in the first game was not, I think they had to combine like 20-some yards between Augustin and Oliviera. So the, you gotta 27 get that, yards 27. on 13 carries. Yeah, between the two of them. That's you got to get that run going, especially in a game that's so close like that. That came right down to the wire. You don't want to be running. you got to run that ball more. Longest run of the game for Winnipeg? Zach Kalaros. Yeah. His one rush for 10 yards. Yeah, and I think that's when he got banged up on, actually. So. I believe you're right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that went well. Same thing happened to Bo Levi Mitchell, mm-hmm. actually. So it's the type of thing where I, without the running game, I wonder about Winnipeg because I like how they throw the ball around, but part of the, the, the way that they've been able to have so much success mm-hmm. lately is that balanced attack. And if you don't have it in the same sense with these two Canadians in the backfield... And an aging offensive line. And that's saying you got that offensive line that's been a staple in this league for so long. They don't have De, uh, Drew, Desard- uh, Drew Desjardins. Drew this uh, this year. He's in New England right now. So He is a monster on the interior, too. He's a dog. Yeah, so, like, I mean, going back, New England made that draft pick. Uh, the Spence guy in the first round, so they maybe thought he could come back into camp. So who knows? He might be a guy that fans his way to Winnipeg later on this year. But you want to see that O-line get them going. Um, and you got to protect Kalaros because you don't like Drew Brown looked good for three throws, but you don't want to have a season without your number one, your MOP. You uh, still taking the Bombers in this one? Red Blacks, Bombers tonight? I think the Bombers can get this one done. I think they can can at least cover that. Obviously, we'll cover that one point <laughs> spread if they got to win, but uh, basically pick them. But uh, yeah. But I think Winnipeg can bounce back tonight. But you know what? Ottawa looked really good last week. And if it, Masoli is a big, big time there and he can stay healthy i think ottawa can make the playoffs yeah the, the, you know what sometimes the patchwork teams don't work and mm-hmm. i find in the cfl and really in football in general they usually don't in the first year but if you can get some things to click and you're able to retain those guys for another year all of a sudden you start you start really working with things like right? they got darvin adams there now so i i like their group quite a bit 
you know, I, I think that they've added a lot of guys on offense and defense from all sorts of places. Like, this is a team that didn't have space for Tremaine Washington, who led the league in interceptions in 2021. And now he's with the Calgary Stampeders. So, pretty impressive stuff. Now, granted, as we get into the depth chart, uh, Tremaine Washington is not going to play on the weekend for the Calgary Stampeders. Not into the lineup. They're making five changes. So uh, uh, we will see a shuffle to the secondary as they're dealing with a couple of injuries. John Moxie, uh, the starting field corner, is onto the one-game injured list. And Kobe Williams, uh, the injured, he would have been that field halfback position. So really, their entire field side, injured in week one. Moxie to the one-game injured list. Williams to the two-game injured list. So they're, they're doing a little bit of a shuffle. In comes Darius Williams, cut after camp, but then re-signed. He's going to start at Sam. Also in comes Brad Muhammad off of the practice roster. He's going to start at the field half. Raheem Wilson is going to move from safety to the field corner position. And Titus Wall is going to move from the Sam position out to safety. Titus Wall was very impressive in week one, uh, his CFL debut. Excited to see what he can do from the safety position. And then they keep it the same on the boundary side with uh, Trey Roberson and Deontay Ruffin. Apart from that, the defense is pretty much as you would expect. Cam Judge and Jameer Thurman is your linebackers. Derek Wigan and Mike Rose is your starting defensive tackles. Sean Lemon, Stephon Banks, Falerin Arimolade, and Isaac Adegami Berkeley kind of wrapping up their defensive ends. So that's what things look like on the defense. On the offense, Things are changing slightly there as well. Diedrich Mills, the backup running back, was added to the six-game injured list. Peyton Logan was activated. He'll get plenty of work as the backup running back moving forward. It's a wrist injury for Mills. We'll try and get a better timeline from head coach Dave Dickinson after the week. But for now, it's going to be Logan. They were in a pretty tight battle over the course of training camp. They're different. Like, if you were to comp- compare them like to your classic football running back analogy, I would say Diedrich Mills is kind of your thunder. Peyton Logan is kind of your lightning. They're about the same height, but there's more on the frame of Diedrich Mills than there is of Peyton Logan. I think they're both electric and can move the ball certainly well. Uh, Both have done return work while playing in the NCAA too. I still think that this is obviously Kadeem Carey's team, but that's going to be something to keep an eye out. It's uh, good to see fullback Charlie Power back onto the roster. He tore his Achilles in 2021. Long recovery from that, as anyone in sports will tell you. And was able to go through training camp, kind of limited. Been a full participant this week. He's going to come in and be the fullback, along with Will Langley. Tom Schnitzler is going to come out. He gets added to the six-game injured list as well. It's good to see power in, not necessarily for what he'll bring to the offense, although I think there's an element there, but I think that what he can do on special teams is kind of one of Mark Killam, the special teams coordinator and associate coach, one of Mark Killam's kind of key guys that he relies on for special teams. It's unique that the Stampeders really do treat that specials group like the, the, the bona fide third phase of the game, no less than the offense, no less than the defense. And guys like Charlie Power buying into that is kind of what makes everything work in that situation. Finally, uh, one more injury to uh, the receiver, and that is Colton Hunchak. Added to the one-game injured list, dealing with a rib injury. Tyson Middlemost, who was the 2020 fourth-round draft pick of the Stamps out of McMaster, is going to be on the roster. 
He's listed as the backup to Richard Sindani as the wide Canadian. Luther Hakunavanu is going to get the start at that interior slot position as a Canadian receiver. Hakunavanu surprised a lot of people last season uh, when he made the roster. I remember when he was drafted, he was a guy that was a late draft pick that the team felt was probably going to have to go back to school, uh, spend a season, another season there, get a little bit more seasoning before he could come in and, and make the team. But showed up at camp in 2021, continued to impress. Like He's got a massive catch radius because he's just a big dude. But he also understands the game well. He has a, a, a keenness to learn as well that you see when he, he's always talking with guys like Colton Hunchak or, or with the receivers coach, Mark Way McDaniel, trying to figure out how he can optimize his role in the offense. And I'm excited to see him get a chance here because he had a couple of games in 2021 where he went off, like making big grabs, making big blocks. I think he could be a, a really good piece for the Stampeders as they start to continue to to work with some of these Canadian content because gone is Juwan Breskison. It's Pakunavanu, it's Hunchak, it's Sindani, it's Middlemost, and it's Jalen Philpot. Philpot looked like he was trending to play. Uh, I think it might have come down to what is he going to be able to do on special teams and the roster that's going to keep him off the off this uh, depth chart for week two. But I do expect to see Jalen Philpot injected into the offense in the near future. Uh, he's a dynamic player. He's just been hurt for all the training camp and for the start of the regular season. He had a hamstring injury the first day of rookie camp, and ever since then it's just been a, a little bit of a challenge to get that plane off the tarmac. But that's something that they're excited to see, I would say. Young Canadian receiver, fifth overall pick, former UFC Dino, just an electric player when he was with the Dinos, and I think he's got a lot to show in the CFL and could be a bona fide star for the team. But like I said, need to stay healthy, need to stay healthy for a consistent amount of time and show the coaching staff that you deserve to get a start within that within that lineup. Let's hear from uh, Reggie Bangleton, the Stampeders receiver. As uh, he signed a two-year deal with the Stamps in the offseason, so he's going to be here for a little bit. 2021 comes in for the last handful of games at the end of the year. Was solid but not outstanding when you compare some of the years he had before Reggie went down to the NFL. And now he's back, and he's excited. And, uh, you know, week one wasn't great. He went two for six, but I really wouldn't lay it on Reggie. I thought that three or four passes were just uncatchable over his head. He, uh, I had a chance to catch up with Reggie after uh, week three of the practice week. You've been with the Stampeders for a while, but you guys got to practice inside the bubble for a couple of days here with uh, the big wind and the rain. How'd that feel? It felt, it felt pretty good. Uh, hopefully we could continue that when, when the snow comes. <laughs> but, I mean, we got to get used to the elements. That's part of football. Uh, it was a good change-up. Uh, I'm glad the coaches decided to go in because, you know, it still is humid out there in Hamilton, and it was a good, a good way to get acquainted. One week into the season here, I just wanted to ask about the, the decision to rejoin Calgary and, and kind of have another chat and chance at uh, going after another great cup. What went into that decision? Well, the fact that I was with the team at towards the end of last year, um, I seen the potential of, of the guys that we have. We have a young group. Um, I felt like, you know, me coming in uh, for a full year, I can help contribute. And the fact that the, uh, the young guys have a, a, an entire year under their belt, uh, we have a great cup team. So. 
You guys got a, like a real three-pronged monster in the offense with you, Kamar Jordan, Kadeem Carey, a bunch of really good weapons apart from that as well. But can you just kind of talk about that three-headed monster that you've got for Bo Levi Mitchell? I feel like we have a complete team overall. It's not just us. Uh, I mean, the defenses, they could key on us, but we, we got a lot more weapons than just us. And that's what I like about this team that goes back to, you know, my, my decision to come in here is the fact that it's not, it's not a one-dimensional at, at all. Well, and then we saw that with Richie Sandani in that game, right? Exactly. You know, we got we got our Canadians. They're they're coming up. Uh, they got experience under their belt, and they're, they're starting to take the rings. And that's when they can take the rings, it makes everybody's job easier. What have you noticed about Bo Levi Mitchell this year? Maybe comparing some of the past seasons. Uh, he's getting his confidence back. Uh, he struggled last year. I mean, it, it's football. Every year is different. You don't know what's going to happen. Uh, he is, he's prepared this year. He's going to show the league that he he's still here. What would you say about your week one performance? I know the stat line wasn't outstanding, but there were some overthrows. There there were just some things that didn't go your way. How would you categorize week one? I mean, it's football. Uh, they're professionals too. Um, it, you have to, you have to, in order for the train to get going, all the wheels got to turn at the same time. And so uh, that just didn't happen last week. Uh, we got 17 more weeks to go, so I'm not going to dwell on last week. Uh, we got a long season. What are the things you're looking at with this Hamilton defense? Obviously a pretty strong front six and a pretty veteran secondary as well. Yeah, they have a really good secondary. Uh, it's going to be a fun game. Uh, it's going to be a little chippy most likely, uh, but at the same time, you know, going in, into the hammer, they have that environment. We're just going to feed off of that and make this game really, really fun. Best of luck, Reggie. Thank you. It's Reggie Bagleton, receiver for the Calgary Stampeders, and excited to see what he can do in week two. We haven't received Hamilton's depth chart just yet, so we don't know what their roster is going to look like. Did see a tweet from Danny Austin that it looks like former Stampeder Don Jackson is not going to be in the lineup for the game on Saturday, which is unfortunate because I always like watching Don play. Loved him when he was here with Calgary Stampeders, but alas, that's the way that, uh, hey, these things go. Like Reggie said, hey, man, that's football. Sometimes uh, you're just not going to get it. This program is brought to you by Wild Rose Brewery. They're proudly brewing their beer right here in Calgary. You can visit the taproom and restaurant at the Curry Barracks or find your favorite Wild Rose beer at bars and liquor stores around Alberta. That'll do it for our, uh, I was going to say our Stampeders portion, but our Stampeders and our golf portion. The first part of Sportsnet today around the corner, though, from Flames Nation, our buddy and your friend Ryan Pike is going to stop by. We're going to see some things about this trade that we saw in the NHL the other day and break down some of the particulars as far as the cap goes and uh, just a couple of tidbits I'm going to throw at Ryan as well. That's all coming up next as we continue on Sportsnet today right here. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back. This is Sportsnet Today. Typically hosted by Ryan Pinder. He'll be back on Tuesday. My name is Matt Rose in for you today and on Monday. This program brought to you by Wild Rose Brewery. Proudly brewing their beer right here in Calgary. Visit the tap room and the restaurant in the Curry Barracks or find your favorite Wild Rose beer at bars and liquor stores around Alberta. Very happy to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to talk to our buddy and your pal Ryan Pike from Flames Nation. Joins us every Friday here on the program. Well, this has got to be getting, well, what are we? Handful of weeks until buyout windows open, and then after that it's the draft, and then after that it's free agency, and then it's July fifteenth. Then it's then it's quiet until what October eleventh when the regular season begins, something like that. Anyways, Ryan Pike joins us now. Uh, Ryan, how do you do, man? Happy weekend. Yeah, you too, man. I'm, you're, you're skipping over some stuff because we let's see, just off the top of my head. So we have the Stanley Cup final, oh. and then July first is the buyout window. Uh-huh. Then two days of the draft. Then. Uh, I believe uh, Flames Development Camp, then free agency opens. Oh. Then we have uh, 
ARB. Then we have uh, the World Under 18, the the uh, Ivan Holinka tournament. Then we have the uh, the World Juniors in Edmonton, which they'll probably be some players representation. And then it's the Penticton tournament, and then we're off off and running again. So there, I think you're right. We might have like maybe three weeks of actual downtime between now and uh, next July. All sorts of prospect events coming on because, of course, we saw the roster or the the invite list for the World Junior Camp that's going to be next holiday season. But, of course, we have to finish the tournament that would have been this past holiday season that got kiboshed because of the uh, the pandemic and, and people had the, the vid and all that type of stuff. But anyways, uh, there's lots to get into. I wanted to just start with something that happened in the greater NHL uh, on Thursday, and that was the deal between Montreal and Vegas. And a lot of people uh, have questioned how this benefits the Vegas Golden Knights. Can you just explain how this deal uh, benefits Vegas cap-wise? Oh, basically it allows, you know, it gives them a bit of a, a bit of buffer. The, you know, the, the, essentially Shea Weber is, his career is over, but he's still owed money and his contract's partially insured. So whichever team has him under contract will pay him some money, you know, the, the money he's owed. And then a portion of that money, no one's really sure how much, but they get that money back via injury insurance. So for, for whichever team has him, there's a, there's a, a financial benefit and there's also a cap benefit because he's going to be on LTI, you know, pretty much for the entire season. And, uh, you know, the, the way LTI works in a nutshell is you can overspend the cap by the amount of players you have in LTI. Essentially, the, the Vegas Golden Knights are allowed to spend up to the total amount of Shea Weber's cap hit to replace Shea Weber. Granted, I mean, he wasn't playing to begin with, but the, the mechanics of it are essentially just, you, you, you know, you can overspend to replace guys. And so that's going to give them, you know, they, you know, they're not out of the woods yet. They have a lot of juggling left to do. They have a bunch of guys left to sign. But you know, if you're if you're looking in terms of a first move in order to move some things around, it's it's not a bad way to do it. And give give uh, Kent Hughes and the Montreal Canadiens some credit. They got uh, a pretty decent NHL player, Evgeny Dodonov, who uh, you know he's he's going he's going to a place uh, that wants him. And you know, after I think anyone who's on Twitter. When the trade was announced, the Anaheim Ducks jump into the mentions of Vegas and go, "You sure? Are you sure, bro? Love to see that's that. just that's just great work by by the the Ducks social media team. Kudos, yeah. friends. That was just some beautiful work. I thoroughly enjoyed it as well. Can you also explain why it's unlikely we see the Flames do something similar, trying to acquire someone on LTIR? It just doesn't. I I understand why, but could you go into it? Well, here, here's a good example. I mean, you know, uh, the way LTI works is basically if a guy's out the whole year, you can put him in LTI. But the problem is when someone's, when you're using LTI, you don't bank any cap space. And in the event that a player comes off LTI, you got to basically put the cookies back in the cookie jar. You have to have actual, you have to have the full cap space in order to take them off. So uh, example, like Chris Tanev is probably going to spend, he's probably going to start the season injured. He may or may not be going in LTI depending on what, on what the Flames want to do. But if Chris Tanev goes in LTI to begin the season, the Flames would have to get underneath the $82.5 million salary cap in order to activate him off LTI. So it's not like it's free money. It's essentially what it is. It's you can replace the guy. So if the Flames have to go over the cap a teeny tiny bit uh, in the short term to replace Chris Tanev 
yeah, they can do that. But it's not like they're going to be going like, oh, they can they can fit in Johnny Gaudreau's uh, cap hit under the, the ceiling because Chris Tanev is an LTI. Well, yeah, but unless Chris Tanev is on LTI for the entirety of the season or the entirety of Gaudreau's contract, it doesn't really solve the problem you think it does. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, I want to get to some of the juniors, but you brought up his name. So how are we feeling about Johnny Gaudreau right now uh, with the window less than four weeks until free agency? Well, uh, I went camping this weekend and no one announced anything. So I'm, I did what I could, everyone. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I think it's, you know, I, I think if you're, if you're good row, I mean, you know, the negotiations are ongoing and we've heard fresh as little from the flames as we tend to. I mean, I think if you, uh, if you really worked on gradual living, you could get him to admit that today's Friday. I think that would be a big, big breakthrough getting him to admit today's Friday. He's, you know, he's a good poker player. He's got a good poker face and, you know, the, the most lavish praise I've seen him deliver to any player he's delivered to Johnny Gaudreau. Usually it's hard for, you know, he'll, he'll admit that someone's good. He'll admit that someone's, you know, got lots of promise, but very rarely does he do basically the verbal cartwheels that we we've heard him, uh, you know, performed towards Johnny Gaudreau over the last year or so. So, I mean, you know, the, the Flames definitely want him, and it's it's going to boil down to what Johnny Gaudreau wants to do. And, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's afforded that right as a pending UFA under the, under the collective bargaining agreement. He's spent a lot of time with the Flames, and, you know, I could see him being curious what else is out there, but I, I could also see him sort of look around at the situation he has in Calgary and go, it's not a bad team, and they're probably going to be willing to open the checkbook you know, pretty substantially for him. I would say, you know, if slash when, let's hope when, because we're all optimistic here, and it's more fun to write about a team with Johnny Gaudreau on it than not. But if slash when Johnny Gaudreau re-ups with the Flames, it will definitely be the biggest contract in franchise history in terms of length, in terms of dollars, in terms of however you want to mention it. So, I mean, that's that's not insubstantial. So I think the, the fact that, that, you know, they're having the conversations is good. It's better than Gaudreau just sort of flipping a table and saying, I'm out of here. But, you know, I, I he hasn't signed yet. So obviously, you know, obviously, you know, if he didn't, if he loved the initial offer, he probably would have signed it. Uh, if he hated the initial offer, maybe he would have flipped the table. So as far as we know, no table's been flipped, but as far as we know, no contracts have been signed. So uh, we're living in the gray area between those two points. Ryan Pike from Flames Nation is our guest right now, and I wanted to talk about some RFAs that played down in Stockton this year because uh, the Flames had six guys down that were playing with the Heat that are now restricted free agents. Matthew Phillips, Martin Poshbasil, Adam Rzichka, Itu Tilola, Johannes Shinval and Colton Pullman all spent some time with the Heat. All are now RFAs. Do you see a situation where any of those guys don't get qualified? Let's see. Um, looking at those six, I think I imagine all six get qualified. There was a report in March uh, by Expressen, uh, a, a newspaper out of Sweden, that uh, linked Johannes Shinval with a return to, to Sweden. I believe the team he was connected to is uh, Brynäs. Um, We'll see what happens with that. I mean, Shinval has had uh, a rough transition to North American hockey. Uh, he came over this year, got, you know, he suffered a, a soft tissue injury, a pretty significant one during prospect camp, missed the entirety of Flames camp, missed the entirety of Stockton's camp, and didn't get medically cleared to do anything and really play until, you know, early to mid-January. So he hasn't played a ton. He only played 19 games. And because of just how Stockton's season went, uh, he ended up being essentially the seventh or eighth defenseman this year for, for the Heat for long stretches. And, you know, if I'm him, I, I look at, I can probably make decent money in Sweden. I can live closer to home. You know, he, he came over, he tried it, and maybe from his perspective, it didn't quite work. But, 
you know, we, we haven't heard anything definitive from the, the Flames or from Shinval's camp or even from uh, Sweden regarding Shinval's future. Uh, so I, I imagine if I'm a betting man, I would think that Shinval's probably playing elsewhere next season. But that said, if you're the Flames, you know, he there's really no downside in qualifying him. You keep his rights for a little bit and maybe, you know, maybe he gets the itch to come back in a year or two. So there's there's some value there, but I I would imagine all all six of those guys get qualified because you know uh, you know Shinball didn't play a lot, but the other guys like Poolman was was rock solid as a depth guy. He was playing with uh, with uh, Yusuf Valamaki for the most part and sort of being the defensive yin to uh, Valamaki's yang. Um, T.J. Lola had a really good playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam Azishka was you know he was up here for 30 games this year. He was very good this year. Uh, Martin Postashil when he's healthy. He's just, you know, the, the Flames don't have a lot of players in their system who have the combination of size, skill, and just brute force that Pospisil can bring when he's healthy. So if he can get in any kind of injury luck whatsoever, he's had horrible luck since he turned pro. If he can get some, you know, some healthy uh, seasons under his belt, he's, you know, he's got the size that's going to give him a chance to play at the NHL. And you know, what can we say about Matthew Phillips? You know, he's a little dude, but he scores a lot of goals and sets up a lot of goals. So, you know, at the very, very, very least, Matthew Phillips is someone you want in your farm system because he can really help other guys develop. But, you know, I still think there's some NHL upside in Phillips. Just a question of, you know, when you're that size, it's just a question of, well, what kind of role can he do in the NHL and what would he need to change in order to be, you know, successful at the NHL level? But, yeah, I think uh, I'd imagine all six guys get qualified. Yeah, and he had some chances in that game six. They got eliminated against Chicago, and it was scoreless in the second period as well. They went, man, he just missed on that. There was a five-hole try that stood out to me. So uh, excited to see what he can kind of bring as as things continue to progress. And obviously, with Stockton no longer being the home of the AHL affiliate of the Flames, them coming to Calgary next year, there's going to be some interesting viewing opportunities too. They also got some group six UFAs that were down in Stockton, Glenn Gauden, Justin Kirkland, Luke Philp, the goaltender, Adam Werner. Um, do you see a return to the Flames for those guys? The organization. I think I the big question. I think the question for those four guys is just sort of, if not here, where? Because I mean, Adam Werner, he's going to be probably an, an AHL backup wherever he goes. I mean, uh, you know, he didn't play a ton this year, but when he did, he was decent. But I'm sure, you know, looking, you know, compared to his other AHL seasons, he would even say he had a down year. But you know, he, he's a good hand, and he's someone that can you could potentially push your your AHL netminder. He seemed to have good chemistry with Dustin Wolf, so you know, there's a case of bringing him back. Uh, for Glenn Godden, I think I think the challenge with Glenn Godden is. You know, he got a chance at the NHL, you know, at, in spurts and, you know, here and there. But it seems like, you know, the, the, he, he got leapfrogged to the depth charts by Adam Azichka. Razichka got 30 games in the NHL this year and Godden didn't. And I think that sort of tells you what you need to know about where Godden sort of slots in. But he's still, you know, he's, he's he played on a very good first line for a good chunk of the season. When Razichka was in, in the NHL, they had Godden centering you know, the, the line of Pelche and Phillips, and he was very, very good. He's a very good AHL player. And I think, you know, the question is, you know, if, is, is he fine with being a really good, well-paid AHL player here? Or is there another organization that might give more of an NHL shot? I think that is probably the, the question for Justin Kirkland and uh, Luke Phillips too, because, you know, those two guys, I mean, Kirkland is arguably the, the most, outside of maybe Dustin Wolf, Kirkland is Stockton's best player in the playoffs. He was excellent he he was really good pretty much from the last two months of the season onward and you know he was consistent he was he was everything you'd want to have a a 25 year old ahl veteran to be now the question is if you're the flames 
does he have a chance of playing fourth line hockey next year? Because that could be a carry a dangle to him to keep him around. So I, I think all four guys, I'd say Werner's probably the, the one of the four I'd say is least likely to come back because maybe he can get a better opportunity somewhere else. I mean, when you're playing behind Dustin Wolf, you, you ain't going to be playing very much. Mm-hmm. But for the other three guys, I think there's a, a case to be made both from the team standpoint and from the player standpoint to bring them back. Some other prospect stuff as well. Uh, we saw Jack Beck got an invite to the World Junior uh, Selection Camp this summer. That's for the tournament next holiday season. Uh, what do you think of his chances to uh, make it past this camp and get a little bit closer to the actual invite tournament right before the tournament? That's a good question. I, th- I think, you know, Jack Beck had a great season for, for the 67s this year. He was, you know, he, he had to deal with some, you know, he had, he had an off-season injury that sort of uh, hampered his ability to really participate in Flames camp too much. Uh, and then, you know, he, he suffered, you know, Scott Wheeler at the Athletic did a really great piece over there on the, the tumultuous season Jack Beck had. Uh, he had a kidney contusion, which Google it, it basically means his kidney was bruised and the things that happens to your body when your kidney is bruised suck. Like, there's no way to sugarcoat it. So he suffered through that. He got over that. And then, you know, in between then, in between his injury, when he was healthy, he was arguably Ottawa's best player. Like, you know, scored key goals, scored a lot of goals over a point per game after playing zero games of uh, professional of organized hockey last year. Uh, so he, he was a breakout player. And I think this, you know, at the very least, you know, you, you always say what's the old, what the old thing is uh, it's it's just nice to be nominated. I mean, it's I think there's a feather in his cap just the fact that he's being invited to this camp and will be sort of rubbing elbows with some of the best players in junior hockey. And I think it's a validation of the work he's put in. But I think I think he's got a pretty good chance because you know he's 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 just good, and I think he's the kind of player that you know there's I don't you know from everyone I've talked to about him, there's no ego in his game. He's just going to go there and work and if he has as good a camp as he had had a season i think he's going to make it really really tough for them to keep him off that roster at the very least i think he's going to force his way onto the radar uh memorial cup is set it begins on monday shawinigan from the q edmonton from the dub hamilton from the o and the host are the st john sea dogs so some flame prospects with the host city flames defensive pair they got uh, jeremy poirier and yan kuznetsov poirier is uh the offensive guy, he's, you know, I think he was top 10 in uh, defenseman scoring in, in the queue this year. Uh, you know, really good up-tempo defensive player. Jan Kuznetsov uh, went into junior this year after, you know, he signed last year out of the NCAA, played a little bit with Stockton, but sort of just didn't really find a spot there. So they moved him over to the the, the Sea Dogs, And, you know, he's settled in pretty nicely. I think the, I think the hope is that some of Poirier's offensive creativity can sort of rub off on Kuznetsov because with Kuznetsov, it's never been a, oh, he's not good at uh, at offensive hockey. It's more of a, he doesn't really have the comfort uh, with taking the chances that someone like Poirier does. So, you know, they by all accounts, they've been a really, really good pairing for the Sea Dogs. Uh, they had a, a rough break in the first round. They they had some injuries. They had, uh, by all accounts, there was a, a really nasty flu going around the Sea Dogs, too, and they end up losing in, to Ramuski in the first round. And I think, uh, you know, if you're the if you're the, the, the Memorial Cup host, you're hoping you've got something to prove. But, I mean, I think the Sea Dogs are going to be playing like they want to, you know, show some people some things. And they have a new coach, Court Dwyer's out, and they, they replaced him with uh, a coach whose name escapes me, but he coached at uh, UNB, uh, just a, a, a U Sports institution. 
So they've got a new coach. They've got, you know, a really stacked team and they'll have, you know, be hopefully injury free, having not played hockey for a little bit. I mean, there's always the rust concern with the the Memorial Cup when the host team hasn't played for a bit. But, you know, they're going to go into every game with a chip on their shoulder because I think, you know, they they feel they they underperformed, you know, even with the the, the situation they were in. I think they feel they underperformed and they're going to go in trying to show show the, the champs of the three major leagues that they're a force to be reckoned with. And the last one, I saw you had a chat with uh, Chris Peters over on Flames Nation. Chris Peters is the daily face-off draft expert, uh, junior expert type of individual. Uh, What did it get you excited for with the draft for the Calgary Flames, understanding that they don't have many picks? I mean, you know, I think uh, get a bit of information about some of the the guys who could be available in the second round. Uh, A couple... Guys, we felt, you know, in, in our chat, uh, if you head over to flamesation.ca, we have uh, the pod up there. But uh, to spoil a bit of it, uh, some of the guys we, we mentioned in our chat, a couple of flamesy prospects were a couple, uh, couple of Campbell's Blazers. Uh, Matt, Matt Lindgren is the son of identically named Matt Lindgren. And, you know, he's a, he's a puck-moving defenseman, good mobility, good speed, good everything. You know, he's, uh, he's a really, really good reliable defender and you know he especially with the game with the way the game is now you know he he fits a lot of the the needs of the flames and the fact that outside of maybe Connor Mackey they don't have a ton of guys who are going to be pushing for NHL gigs at anytime soon it's just you know it's, they just don't have the depth they once had because uh, they kept graduating guys in the NHL for a while uh, but you know I think Lane Green would be a really nice uh, fit there uh, another blazer they have is uh, Fraser Minton which is you know he's a really good 200 foot forward really no holes in his game you know really smart savvy player who can pretty much play in any situation so those are the two the two the the two most flamesy guys I think but you know, when the Flames pick at the end of the second round at the 59th overall, I mean, there's there could be a little bit of everything. You know, you know there could be you know some some bigger forwards. There could be some puck moving defensemen. They could potentially be you know depending on what happens in, in the rounds ahead of them. I mean, you know, uh, if you want to talk about guys who have could throw potential upside but might be a little bit boom bust, uh, Lane Hudson out of the, the U.S. National Development Program. He's not big. He's listed as I believe five six or five seven, but he's just you know, an absolute beast puck movement. Granted, absolute beast of puck movement at a, a U20 level. But, you know, he's if he could convert that, I mean, that's that's potentially finding, uh, you know, a golden nugget in the, you know, in the penny jar. Uh, if, uh, if he can't convert it, well, then it's like finding a button in the penny jar. So could work either way. And I think when you have only three selections in a draft, do you, do you, if you're the Flames, do you go for the quote-unquote safe picks? Maybe. Do you try to maximize all your picks? You're definitely going to try to, mm-hmm. but I'm not. I'm curious with with the Flames this year if maximizing their picks don't involve a few home run swings. But they tend to go for those home run swings in the later rounds rather than early on. Yeah, there's always guys like that, right? Like Oliver Shillington was someone that I think slid and and had a little bit of that aura around him. I think of Fabian Lysel who was eventually drafted by the Boston Bruins, who had that aura around him in his draft year and just ripped it up with the Vancouver Giants in the postseason, most recently in the WHL. But um, similar type of ilks there, I would suggest. Yeah, and, you know, I, I'll say this. I mean, 2015, when the Flames traded up to get Oliver Shillington, you trade up to get players you believe in. Mm-hmm. But I think the other challenge is 
you trade up if you have the, the if you have extra picks. So the Flames had the benefit that year of they you know they had a bunch of picks in the 15 draft and they ended up mixing and matching and you know they got a Dougie Hamilton via trade and they managed to you know when when you get someone like Rasmus Anderson 10 picks earlier you feel kind of confident that you can take a kind of quote unquote chance on an Oliver Shillington. So I think uh, the fact that the Flames have so few picks might make them a little bit risk averse, but I don't know. They've they've had these kind of drafts in the past where, you know, there was one draft recently where they didn't draft to the fourth round. They still found some decent players in the late rounds. And I think that's that might be the kind of value shopping they look for. Thanks for the time today, Pike. Enjoy your weekend, pal. Take care, bud. There you go. That is Ryan Pike from Flames Nation. Always enjoy the chats. we got to get out of here. Elliot Friedman coming up on the Merrick Show. He'll open it up. Bruce Cassidy, the new head coach of the Golden Knights, will join the program just after 10.30. Gord Stellick and Trevor Georgie, who's a St. John Sea Dogs president and GM, maybe get asked about the Flames prospects, going to be on the show at 11.30. So I uh, highly recommend you grab those. But we got to get out of the way. Merrick's next. This has been Sportsnet Today, brought to you by Wild Rose Brewery, proudly brewing their beer right here in Calgary. Visit the Tap Room and a restaurant in the Curry Barracks or find your favorite Wild Rose beer at Bar and liquor stores around Alberta. Have a great weekend, buddies. See you tomorrow.